Hello everyone, this is Deborah Richardson and today I am putting the AP in Happy where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. This podcast will give a voice to accounts payable team members by talking about the growing reality of cyber attacks in their world and which vendor setup and vendor management techniques they can apply to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by the five day vendor master file cleanup. Do you trust the data in your vendor master file? Well, if you have less than 5,000 active vendor records and need to prepare for a vendor self-registration portal or for 1099 and 1042 IRS annual forms distribution, you are in luck. We have vendor validations, including watch list screening, duplicate vendor review, vendor inactivation recommendations, and more. Go to DebraRRichardson.com, that's D-E-B-R-A-R-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N.com slash consulting, or email me at Debra, D-E-B-R-A, at Debra rrichardson.com for a quote today. If you're working in accounts payable or AP vendor maintenance and your department does not have a vendor onboarding policy or a section in the accounts payable policy to address the onboarding of vendors, well, now is the chance to take the initiative. Keep listening. Welcome to episode 68, Create Your Vendor Onboarding Policy, a must-have for vendor maintenance. So if you don't have that vendor onboarding policy, this can be a great opportunity for you to take the initiative and get that added. It's nothing like either getting some brownie points with leadership or with your stakeholders and other internal team members. So let's go ahead and get started. And what I first wanna talk about is what the vendor onboarding policy is not. Now, depending on your company, there can be separate departments involved in the whole procure-to-pay or P2P process. Each of those different departments can have a different focus. So a great example is the procurement and sourcing team. If they are separate from accounts payable, they should have a separate policy since their focus may be on items such as vendor risk management, which is separate from vendor onboarding. But vendor risk management, um, identifying strategic partners, reducing costs um, through purchasing, those types of things. And not only procurement and sourcing, but even AP itself at a higher level. And that focus will be on things like invoice submission and approvals, adherence to the purchase order policy, processing payments, um, accurate general ledger coding. We know how that goes. 
And those are the types of things that are important, but they are important on the invoice processing and payment processing side of accounts payable. Vendor maintenance or the onboarding of vendors needs a separate section or policy because the focus is to set that vendor up for the purpose of payment for goods and services. Vendor maintenance is creating a base vendor record whereby the purchase orders will be created, the invoices will be submitted, and the payments will be generated all using that one vendor record. So our main focus is making sure that that information is valid, accurate, and will not result in a fraudulent payment. And just as a side note, this is where I see a difference of when the vendor maintenance function or vendor setup or vendor onboarding function is within the purchase order team. It's nothing wrong with that. I just think the focus is different. So where the purchase order team is focusing on hurrying up and setting that vendor up so that they can get the purchase order issued and the goods can be or goods or services can be ordered, while the vendor maintenance team focuses more on the valid validation and and accuracy because they often have to deal with the compliance, including 1099s. And that doesn't have to be true in all organizations. It's just my professional experience um, with the companies that I've been at. Okay, so next we're going to talk about what does the vendor maintenance team need. And this will help you um, separate the different types of documentation that you can have out there from what is that uh, vendor onboarding policy. And then when we get done with this section, I'll talk about how to create your own. All right, so what does the vendor maintenance team need? Well, the AP vendor maintenance team should have three sets of instructions for the process of onboarding the vendor. The first one is for the AP vendor maintenance team with detailed field-by-field instructions for how to add and edit a vendor in each of your ERPs. This should include what validations and approvals are required and when, as well as document storage processes. And these are normally called desktop procedures or process documents. And if you would like some help with that, because we're not going to cover it in this podcast, I did do a podcast, episode 38, called Get Your Vendor Setup and Maintenance Desktop Procedures in Order. And it does have a link to my site where you can download a template. So that should help you out if you're interested. Okay, the second set of instructions that vendor maintenance needs is one for your suppliers that can tell them how to do business with you. So this can include how to submit an invoice, how to request updates if their information changes. Some vendor maintenance teams call these welcome packets and will send to any newly created vendors. If you have a vendor self-registration portal, it's common to provide a vendor guide, um, which is a set of instructions that tell them how to use the portal. Now you can customize what you provide depending on whether the vendor team deals directly with the vendor or if the internal team members gather their required documentation from the vendor and then submits it to your team. 
which brings me to the third and final set of instructions that you need. And that is one for your internal team members to tell them how to do business with you. Now, this is separate from the document that you provide to the supplier because it can include internal only information that's required for vendor setup, such as how to determine the account group or company code. Those are the type of things that the vendor will never know. So they are included in this set of instructions. And as you probably know by now, this set of instructions for internal team members is your vendor onboarding policy. And now we're gonna talk about what needs to be included. Now I have a list of seven things that I think you need to include. Um, the first six are actual areas or areas of instruction. And the seventh one is just some other instruction ideas to um, consider. Now all of these are highly customizable and it really just depends on your business. So use what you need, add to it. Um, hopefully this gives you some value in providing some things Things you need to look at. So the first one is what documents are required to be collected from the vendor based on different criteria. So for example, if a vendor prefers to be paid via electronic payment, then you need to document that a banking form or and or a letter of credit with the banking details is required to be submitted with the request. And also don't forget to include the signature requirements. It's getting better now, and if you have a vendor portal that has an interactive W-9, you don't have this problem, but I still remember even last year receiving W-9s that had typed and not electronically signed, but typed forms. So just make sure that you identify the electronic signature and the criteria for that. I used to require a PIN number, but I think that's changed. So make sure that you do your research on electronic signatures, what's required, and then define that in your policy so you don't get type signatures. Okay, so the next one, and this can be important too, is what vendors, if any, are not applicable to be paid through accounts payable, and therefore requests for setup will be rejected. So a great example is that many companies will not set up hotels as a vendor, but rather require the use of corporate cards to cover meeting or conference costs. And the reason for this is because it eliminates the potential of duplicate payments resulting from that invoice still making its way to AP even after the internal team member has paid with their credit card or corporate card. So if the vendor is not set up, there's no way that the invoice could be paid again. So just make sure that your internal team members know that. Now the third thing is how to submit the request to vendor maintenance. Now this can be via a vendor self-registration portal, an email address, or a department floor if you want them to drop those hard copies off. Also include contact information for questions or let them know how to follow up on the request. 
Now that brings us right to the fourth thing, which is your service level agreement or SLA timelines. So let the internal team member know how long it should take to process their vendor requests. Make sure to build in enough time for approvals, validations, and confirmations where required. The typical time I've seen is 24 to 48 hours, but this is unique to your process. If you've got some approvals that need to be done in there, then it may take a little bit longer. Another thing you can include is the timelines for urgent requests. Now, I don't recommend it because it may increase urgent requests that really aren't urgent requests and you really want to discourage that process in this era of vendor fraud, we need to stop rushing. But if you do include it, make sure you define what an urgent request is. And I'll talk a little bit more about um, that process when we get to, I believe it's number six. So that was number four. Let's go to number five, which is your escalation process. Now you might wonder, well, if I didn't want an urgent request process, why do I want an escalation process? Hear me out. So you need to include a formal process for resolving issues with the request. Now these issues can include if the request is out of SLA, so it's late, or if the documents that were submitted are invalid, or if you're missing documents and you know the internal team member or the vendor is pushing back and does not agree with vendor maintenance assessment of that request. And that happens, so you need to have a process so that it saves the unprofessional pushback from internal team members or the supplier to vendor maintenance, the team members that are processing those requests. And that's really where it belongs is the escalation to leadership so they can determine if the vendor maintenance team member needs additional training or they can determine if the internal team member or supplier needs an explanation from leadership about the policy that they approved. Okay, so we're on to number six. You also need to include the consequences of not following the policy. So this does not have to be punitive or confrontational. And the example I'm going to give is of the urgent vendor request. I told you I'd get back to this one. So if you included the urgent request in item number four, which was the service level agreement timelines, the SLA timelines, and you also included criteria for accepting or determining when there is an urgent request. So what you wanna do is you wanna track that. So for every urgent request that comes through, you want to document it somewhere with the name of the person, their department, the reason for the urgent request, and just keep tracking that. And depending on your volume, every month, every quarter, review it. And anywhere that you see that you have multiple entries for the same person or the same department, reach out to them and talk through their processes to see if there's any step or steps or gap that can be improved. 
And so I've actually done this in the past. And one interesting scenario I found is when we had a group that actually entered all of the vendor information into a separate system. So they created their own vendor record and then sent it to accounts payable so that we could enter it in our accounting system or ERP, which is really our system of record. So we had to go back to that group and not only you know, ask why they were doing that and then confirm that they were not storing any sensitive personal information from the vendor in there, like their social security numbers or the banking information. And then we worked out a way to feed their system with just the information that they needed. And all they needed was the legal name and the address. And I think their contract starting in dates. And so we were able to work that out. So there were no more delays waiting for that team to enter into their system first and then send it to vendor maintenance as an urgent request. Okay, so number seven, it's the last one. And I actually have a few things listed under like other instructions to consider. And so I have what approvals are required and when, if that's applicable to your uh, company. Um, another one is how to determine which company code account groups should be used for their vendor request. And for all my SAP folks out there, you know how difficult it can be if you have a lot of company codes for your internal team members to determine which one is the correct one. All right, so the next one is how to determine the correct payment terms or what is required if they request any payment terms that are not default payment terms, such as a contract. All right, so I have three more. So the next one is payment process and or the timeline of the payments based on the payment method. Um, the next one is the expected disposal process of the submitted vendor documentation once the request is complete because you don't want them retaining it in their desk drawer or their C drive. So you wanna make sure you tell them how to dispose of it. Even though you don't have a lot of control, at least you have that instruction in your policy. And then the last one is just anything else they need to know about your process. Um, it's unique to your business, it's unique to your AP department, it's unique to your vendor onboarding process. Make sure that if it's going to make your job easier for the requesters to, or the internal team members to submit it to you in a certain way, make sure you document that in the policy. Or better yet, get all your AP help desk or your vendor maintenance customer service folks and have them put together a list of frequently asked questions. Have them gather up all the emails, pull a report of the tickets submitted if you have that type of system from memory, whatever you need to do, gather those frequently asked questions and include them in the policy. Okay, that was a lot, and guess what? You're not quite done yet. So once you have finalized your vendor onboarding policy and it has been approved by leadership, make sure you communicate it to your team members and your stakeholders. If you have a company intranet page, add it to that. If you have changed any parts of the vendor onboarding process, or even if you haven't, hold multiple training sessions 
I've done that in the past and maybe you have too where you just have a conference line open at a certain day a certain time you publish it and then whoever needs to come on just comes on and maybe you have that multiple times a week or you have it every Wednesday at one o'clock or something um, to make sure that you have a way to communicate to your internal team members and a way that they have to ask you questions and an additional thing that I've done in the past is if I had a large group that submitted you know a significant number of requests in the past I've had one group that really represented 70% of our vendor requests that group I met with them separately to review the policy and then discuss and resolve any issues so that uh, that's another option for you outside of that you should be done and good luck well it's never really done but good luck so thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the 68th episode of the Putting the AP in Happy podcast, where accounts payable teams are empowered to protect the vendor master file from fraud. Don't forget to check the show notes for the links mentioned in the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and writing a review of my podcast on the platform that you use to listen. Stay happy.